Hello, and welcome to a unique episode of the XXLA Architects podcast, where I visit the Free School of Architecture at Wuho Gallery, and we have a discussion with some of the participants to hear more about this innovative six-week experience. I'm your host, Audrey Sato. The recording I'm about to play for you is from a discussion at Wuho Gallery, which was taped on July 24th, 2018, and it was open to the public. And just a few notes to help avoid confusion as you listen along. Toward the beginning, the participants will introduce themselves, but as we do go along, you'll hear a few additional voices from some later arrivals. Also, Wuho is situated directly on Hollywood Boulevard. So there's a bit more background noise than usual in the recording. I'm going to warn you ahead of time, just in case you're driving, that you'll sometimes hear sirens and other sounds coming through. So hopefully you're not too alarmed. You want to introduce the event coming up? Yeah, we'd be happy to. Should we introduce ourselves as well? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Jacob, uh, participant, FSA, working on the event we have this Friday here, Wuho Gallery, 6518 Hollywood Boulevard. Right now titled, Unfinished, FSA Closing Event Unfinished. Uh, We've been working on, uh, I guess, a summary of the summer work that we've done and um, leaving open-ended for new work. So come by the gallery, Wuho Gallery, <laughs> this Friday, uh, July 27th. 27. 6.30. 6.30. Nice. Oh, yeah. Till what time? Late. 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 <laughs> yeah. Special time. Late. Late. Close it down. Yeah. 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 But you'll be going home early, Joe. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the, the few parents, I guess, here, so. If kids to take care of. That's ah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been one of the interesting things about the EBSA is the, yeah. kind of the, the, the demographic. Can we just talk about some of the like basic numbers of FSA? Like how many people are participating? I think, didn't the group start around like 50 or something? But I'd say we have like a regular 15 or so like active participants on a weekly basis coming in more than one or two events. Yeah, I think the beginning had like bigger numbers, but that was a that was and that wasn't. Um, yeah, I think that there were probably thirty active participants, but there were only kind of eighteen to twenty at each session, and there was yeah, it was just a kind of rolling moving. thing. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because yeah, we had um, a list of about sixty people from twenty three countries. It'd be interesting to run the metrics on who actually came because yeah. there's very little accountability. Like, no, if people didn't show up, they didn't show up. Yeah. It's not yeah. like we were following it up. But 60 people accepted the opportunity to come. Yeah, I think 63. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe only two-thirds at most. Yeah, and there showed. were a few people who pulled out, I think, yeah. before it. Just cost and... Yeah. I think Distance. that, like, no accountability is an important part of... Yeah. <laughs> ...of the culture, because nobody's, you know... You don't have a reason, a reason for being here. Yeah. You're, you're your own reason. What? You're your own, you're your own reason. Yeah. You have your own reason. Yeah. Can you know, you diversity talk of, the, of the community that ended up arriving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been a huge spread of like ages, um, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. really like 22 to 40. 
Uh, yeah. It's in like that age. younger though, right? Skews younger. Skews younger. Um, yeah. yeah. More people in their 20s than in their 30s, for sure. Yeah, and, and a lot of like um, like amateur architects, as in people that are just interested in architecture, you know? Yeah, which would be Jay. I don't know, I said amateur architect. <laughs> <laughs> I like my doctor, witch doctor. Metaphor. <laughs> the do- yeah. I think being an amateur is something to be proud of. You know? yeah. yeah. I do think it, like how many people are urban studies, urban planning, graphic design. Graphic design. It's been an interesting mix, so artists like myself, so teachers. Teachers of architecture or teachers of other things? Teachers of other things. Nice. But uh, yeah, I, I teach kids, so I teach art, so. Great. Yeah, can I hear more about some of these other participants and what your backgrounds are? Um, my name is Alejandro Ramirez, and I am actually one of the few LA locals. Um, I graduated in 2016 from Cal Poly Pomona, so very well. Oh. Yeah, I know, you teach hey. there. <laughs> I just missed you. <laughs> um, I've been working full-time for the past three years now, so, you know, getting my feet wet, kind of, still. Nice. I'm Simon, and I came, uh, I came from New Zealand. Yeah, just to come with the FSA, and to see Tessa, really, uh, who was one of the, um, the organizers of this, this year's Event, who's a friend of mine from New Zealand. Um, yeah, I'm an artist and I've trained as an architect also. Yeah, I'm Tessa. I um, was one of the four organizers who put it on. Um, I grew up in New Zealand and moved to LA after attending the free school last year. Um, and it's been, yeah, moving to the city has been a pretty huge turning point in my life. And um, the FSA is extremely integral to that, so I've got a pretty strong attachment to it. Um, I'm Katya Zorolnik. Um I am from San Francisco. I've been living in LA for a few years now. I just graduated from Occidental College, so I'm a non-architect. Um, it's a liberal arts college, so I was an urban and environmental policy major, sociology minor. Not really a huge focus on policy in that major anyways, so um, this has been a an immersive like design and architecture experience that I kind of lacked but had uh, circled around a lot with like urban planning and urban design and community organizing um, but it's been wild to talk to architects as a non-architect considering architecture. <laughs> uh, yeah so my name is Jacob and uh, I was trained and worked as an architect on the East Coast mainly in Philadelphia, and um, FSA was a break from the structures of the East Coast where things are not so free and uh, experimental. So I came out here and it's been yeah, a pretty wild experience as well as somebody who's been so deep down in the dark cave of architecture um, to see the light and to talk about um, theory and arts and all sorts of other things, you know, interacting with the public, gentrification, and being critical in that field. It's been a different experience than what I had in school when I worked. Hi.
past couple years. Um, I, I do teach at Office College of Marathon Design and um, I moved to LA one year ago. Uh, I lived in different cities. I lived and I worked in Washington DC, New York, Portland, in Oregon, and I'm, I'm working with in LA and I really enjoy LA. And I really enjoy your Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> wow, thank you. This is cool. <laughs> this is better than an email. Well, we've met before too, right? Yeah, yeah. with Giovanni. Yeah. So it's, it's not quite anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hate mail. Though. No, it's not, it's not hate mail. mail so Yes, I was okay. just saying that I have not received any hate mail from the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Open yeah, invitation, yeah. apparently. <laughs> After today. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, I want to hear more about what you're learning at FSA, because I think it's really interesting that you're all coming from different places and backgrounds, especially, like, the architect, non-architect sort of... I don't know if there's a discrepancy there, but um, the viewpoint in terms of tackling a subject matter and, um, you know, often there's a criticism that architects are kind of in a bubble or that we talk to each other a lot. <laughs> You're nodding. <laughs> so was that, do you, did you feel as a non-architect then that that was true? Think, yeah, I mean, there were times where I was a lot of like smiling and nodding, like I'm in on this joke, I recognize what building you're talking about, or <laughs> totally what that architecture writer would say, I can't believe I missed, you know, like, there were moments where, um, even if it's not necessarily like elitist content, like it's, you know, what a, a, a journalist would say, or obviously this building is public and is well known, but it was not well known to me, and I don't know who these authors are, um, but it doesn't feel like even content that I didn't know I didn't know, you know, kind of one of those feelings was accessible, but also just I never thought that I would even be learning about it in the first place, which what makes it feel really removed, um, but that's also exciting. Like, I think the, the Grumpy Futures um, was one of the most like engaging lectures just because it was really accessible. It had a lot of references to like pop culture that I could, uh, that was attainable to me, but was about like deterministic design and was in reference to a lot of designs that I was unfamiliar with, but I was still able to like follow the narrative and un engage with the possibility of what, what deter like what design could mean um, in terms of creating these dystopian futures. So there was times where it, I did feel really removed from the conversation, but I think there's also plenty of moments where things were well explained, or that like people like Jay took time out to explain to me when I was like, well, let me follow through with this. Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, as a non-architect, it was interesting for me being in the discussions and hearing everyone's thoughts, too. I did, sometimes I felt like I was an interloper in, into this secret professionalized society and uh, it was that was one thing that was surprising to me actually was kind of the professionalization of architecture and talking with architects and how even in like introductions and introducing themselves they would always be careful to say 
I'm an architect or I, I'm not licensed yet and to make that distinction and to me coming from outside that world uh, that doesn't there's a sense that, that that doesn't make sense to me because here you've already gone through this process of learning this knowledge set of learning these practices and you know them and it's like somehow you have to be validated through this evaluation and I feel like that was a so that that kind of concept is kind of a tension with the idea of the free school of architecture and like what is evaluated <laughs> do we are people pushed to attend um, things like that I, I, I mean I kind of think like most of the time when that kind of conversation comes up like there's a categorical error occurring yeah. you know it's a legally protected term and actually yeah. the things that it's legally protecting are not actually taught at most architecture schools so you know, Which I thought was interesting. You don't actually come out of school yeah. with the relevant skill sets that are required in order to wear that hat. But hearing that even from so many people from different countries, from right. different different educations, and how Leonard, for instance, yeah, he's like, oh, I'm not an architect, but I'm licensed to design houses. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, okay. and it's like that, that kind right. of terminology yeah. and that kind of like breakup. It's like, I don't even know if we have that in the U.S. So. Yeah, I designed the house, yeah. but I mean, but it was like, there's some... But architects legally protected here, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, or legally liable. <laughs> no, I mean, the term, you can't use <laughs> Legally mandated. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's been one of the, also one of the interesting um, things about conversations here at the FUSA is like, people figuring out kind of like what hat they're wearing at any given time, you know, because architecture and being an architect can be and mean like so many things. Um, there's so many ways of practicing that, um, even just negotiating the title itself. Um, yeah, so that's been, I think, a big part of the conversation, like implicitly most of the time, just trying to figure out like what part of the field or the discourse we're kind of like trying to talk about at any one time. Yeah. And then also, you know, people have come with, from different parts of the field, you know, with their own kind of, um, there are kind of biases and, and, and experiences that have kind of led them to locate themselves in, in one place. You know? And so that's really been interesting, you know, ha having people um, like try and negotiate like a common language or a common understanding, um, you know, between someone that is really grounded in like um, the practical practice of like the craft of construction, like one of the participants that came from Mexico, who, who, who actually does himself like a massive injustice by, <laughs> by trying to see himself always only that way because you know he, he's he, it's kind of like a, a positive lie like because he's already like you know much more than that but he bring he brings that to every conversation as a kind of a performance you know and then you know someone else That's very big call may come to I think he does bring it as <laughs> a kind of a someone who's not here okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I, I mean I, I also think that's really positive because I think it's really important to perform so he performs that role you know um, and argues for that position with all of the wider and more general kind of knowledge and, and, and um, awareness of different positions that he has, he still performs that position. And yeah, I think performance is really important. You've got to like stake out where you're at, hold that position lightly, and negotiate that with other people that are kind of performing and coming from different spaces. And I've kind of seen that happen here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it was a big, um, I think, um, it was a big motivation for us organizing it to ensure that there was a kind of exploration of what architecture practice is and can be, which is I, I guess why we, we kind of invited in 
such a diverse range of people doing things within LA um, to try and tap into that. And I think because, you know, I, I think a lot of the reason that people come to the free school is, is trying to understand what architecture could be because they're not feeling, it's not living up to their expectations um, in their day-to-day -day lives. And like for me, that was a big part of like attending it. Um, and so it, it was really, it was, it, was, it was really important for us to try and be like, well, these are different ways that you can practice architecture and kind of just start tapping into a variety of um, practices that are doing those things. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I personally, there was a time where I hated architecture. I was out of school and I loved school. And then I was so tired and so overworked and then like practicing on things that I didn't always feel mattered. And there was a real hate for a while where I was like, what am I doing? Um, so I wonder, you know, with Free School of Architecture, do you have criticisms of your architecture school education? Uh, for those of you who did go to architecture school and did this experience fulfill or um, help you get over some of those uh, criticisms that you have? So, yeah, to answer your question, as somebody in the minority here, I guess people had a tradition, not, see, it's tough. I didn't have a traditional architectural education, but I did have one. Um, I went to Drexel University. I graduated a year and a half ago. And um, uh, the I, I can't really call criticisms because the program was unique and I knew what I was signing up for when I got into it. Um, it was unique in a very much professional bent. Right. You know, it was not, it was a school that I knew I was going to, to learn the tools of the trade. After two years there full time, I got a job full time and then took night classes for the next four years. So everything that was about the education was about supplementing what you're learning at the office, um, and then the office work is supplementing what you're learning in the classroom. Um, we had theory classes, but nowhere near the amount of emphasis was put on theory. It was about how buildings go together and how to function in an office. And so that can be leveled, yeah, that can be considered a criticism, but I think I kind of knew that going into it, and it, so it was everything I expected, and I, um, and more, and I had a great time there, and it set me up really well, going into the workplace and graduating. Um, I mean, 100% of the graduates had jobs. That's a number that they've had for years, and um, it's crazy. But it's true, because, and I had four years of work experience when I graduated. So that was a, that's, it's an architectural education, but it's not quite your typical one. And um, so I'm not the best person to answer that question, perhaps, but certainly FSA being almost completely the opposite of that experience certainly was the yin to that yang, perhaps, that um, filled a gap that um, that school didn't provide. I had an undivided like, architectural education. I went to the AA. I studied, um, I did a foundation there, and then did my three years there, and then 
I took a couple years out thinking I'd go back when I was like, I would never want to go back. Um, it was a completely untraditional. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Really and truly, it was like, I want, to say, I want to say the last option, but one of the last options I had for like choices of higher education. And I knew I wanted to study architecture, but I didn't know what that entailed. And, you know, everyone tells you, you study architecture, you know, you're going to study everything. You're going to be like a, a genius in like all fields and all that. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Wow, you know, <laughs> like, you're going to be, you're just going to be like, you're going to be like, you're going to know about and learn about everything, but you won't necessarily be an expert in everything, which is what I learned when I left. And um, because of that, I ended up just leaving and doing like hair and like working in fashion for like two years. And then um, I went back to the Royal College and studied an interior design masters and then just came straight here because I feel like architecture, what I learned in the end was basically a school of thought more than it is a school of um, practice or anything like that. And I don't, I, I, there's no way now 100% of students that left my undergrad with like full-time jobs. Like I, I don't even know. I'm so shocked at that um, statistic. <laughs> I wonder what people got into. I wonder, like, if anybody left with clarity, if there's, like, a statistic for that after the, the undergrad, like, um, education. I don't know. Um, so it's nice to come, come back to a free school um, and kind of, like, gather, like, your, well, personally for me, like, five years of, like, being in academia and, like, walking away from architecture and then coming back to it as a, as a, as a kind of, like, a SOS, you know, as in, like, what am I... What, is, what, what does this all mean? Um, and hopefully kind of getting the answer for it but I don't feel like you really do it's almost like a journey um, discovering what architecture is for yourself I don't think there's a definition I don't think ev everyone has the same definition for what architecture is which is what I'm learning now you know so yeah I mean I thought that was kind of the insight I took away from conversation club um, that I joined in on luckily on Sunday um, it seems like people were writing manifestos and they're, you know, people are really thinking about their own point of view. Um, and it was interesting to me because I could see that some people have come here already knowing very well who they are or what their interests are in architecture or related fields. And but that's not going to be the case for everyone. Maybe, and maybe some people are pretending, I don't know. But like, you know, there's also the opportunity to find that here, it seems like. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of refining of interests in a sense. Um, I mean, in terms of giving a more specific direction, I think for some people, um, not for everybody. It's like a. When I see Nathan, I think of an architect who's established, has an established job and <laughs> very established, but but kind of wanting to like re-engage with the conversation and get a different, have a different conversation. So, yeah, the biggest thing I wanted coming into this was I felt like I got going to similar university as Jacob was saying, like a architecture background and a five-year program and a school in LA. I felt like I got lost in the conversation of talking about architecture so much and I got so good at knowing how to talk about architecture and just tricking myself into knowing I, I thought I knew what I was talking about just by throwing these trigger words into conversations. <laughs> um, I kind of got lost in the shuffle there and I wanted to, I removed myself from the academic world and I started working and then I felt like I lost like the understanding of the importance of architecture after being out of it for so long. So I wanted to kind of come back in a different, with a different mindset 
of not just throwing out these words just to make myself think that I know what I'm talking about, but actually understand the concepts. So. I actually feel like I have a very similar opinion as Nathan. I think having the Cal Poly Pomona background, Cal Poly likes to like tiptoe around the line of where we concentrate besides like design or like practice. But um, going from academia straight into practice and just kind of saying I need I need a break from you know school and just wanting to work. Now I feel the opposite, <laughs> where, <laughs> where I need a break from work and I need to go back and do some school. And I think it's mostly because working, you kind of lose that questioning, like questioning behind reasons why things are done the way that they are. You know, you're kind of just set into following a designer or following your principal and what they want, and you can't really make your own, you know, conclusions on how something should be designed. So Free School of Architecture has really offered me that sort of questioning. You know, we've had a ton of different workshops with very different um, issues that they take on and the readings that they all have are also very different, which is really nice for me. I've actually really enjoyed doing a lot of these readings just because it kind of points my head in a different direction and I can learn a lot about a topic that I would have never even thought of learning about. So, Can you give some specific examples of readings that you've had? Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the Tectonic Temples readings, uh, learning more about Los Angeles just because, you know, I've lived here for so long. Um, and those readings were about, like, different influences on from like Masonic type, uh, like weird occult type uh, groups that have been in LA and how they've embedded themselves in the architecture throughout the city. And so that was actually really eye-opening because I feel like I've taken for granted a lot of these buildings, like the, uh, grand, the library in downtown LA. Mm -hmm. It has like all these symbols that I would have never really picked up on <laughs> if I didn't do that. It's great. Um, yeah, so can, maybe we can talk a little bit more about how FSA works. Since we've kind of dove into like what you've been learning from it, maybe let's backpedal just a little bit to explain to people who know nothing about Free School of Architecture what it is and how it works. Um, yeah, it's a big question. And I think, I mean, Pretty much everybody knows nothing about the Free School of Architecture. <laughs> and we kind of have always been sort of intentionally vague because, like, for us, this was the first year, really. This was, like, trial number one of the model um, of this kind of idea of peer-to-peer -peer learning. Um, obviously, it's tuition-free. Um, it's free. Um, I mean, it's not free. Nothing's free. And I think when you have no money, money is unfortunately the kind of everything comes back to money when you don't have it. Um, but I think what it does allow is that there's a, maybe I like to think that we created a kind of freedom of opportunity or like potential to have interesting conversation. Um, but basically our kind of intention for the school um, was, it was a six week program based in Los Angeles. Um, we had an um, application process which just involved a single um, A4 or letter um, sheet <laughs> um, with, you could, with maximum 800 words, but you could do visual content or anything. You had to be over 21 to apply, 
and have some kind of interest or um, professional relationship to architecture. Um, and so that was, and the idea was that um, the participants attending the school, so no, no students, no teachers, all participants, and the participants can run sessions, um, and then the four organizers, we invited people that we thought would be um, valuable um, in the kind of context of understanding architecture practice or interesting things happening in Los Angeles because it was really important that we kind of engaged with the context of the city. And then our organizational involvement decreased over the course of the six weeks. So it was extremely tightly packed in the first sort of two to three weeks. And then we slowly stopped organizing things so that these last two weeks have been effectively unorganized. Um, and yeah, I don't want to say disorganized, but unorganized, um, so that the participant body can then um, kind of structure the way that they want to learn in those weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, whether I don't, I, I probably, I think we all maybe, it, it'll be interesting to kind of have to take some distance from it to reflect on the successes and failures of the school. Um, but I think those were, that's our kind of core idea. And um, what was also really important was everybody was us recognizing that everyone has a kind of value and has something to contribute. And so when we're inviting people to talk, the kind of exchange was, well, what are you going to be able to get out of, um, you know, 20 people coming from all over the country and all over the world? And how is that going to benefit your practice? And so that was, it was kind of, it come, becomes like a system of knowledge exchange, which then hopefully kind of everybody returns to their lives and it kind of filters back into some kind of, into their circle of influence and how they view their particular personal practice. Uh, one, one thing too I thought was really interesting was, was the applicating process and talking about those 800 word essays and how they were sent to three other applicants, which I thought was like critically important for kind of setting the tone in terms of dialogue and how uh, not that we evaluate each other, but that we dialogue with each other and how that started at that first phase, that very beginning phase. Um, being able to see other people's responses um, you know, to what I wrote, I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> Is this something that's going to continue then? Like, are listeners going to be able to apply for next year? Oh. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we have a kind of operating agreement that um, our lawyers have never seen anything like it. <laughs> <laughs> so we had lots of interesting conversations with them about it. But um, the idea of the operating agreement is that the four of us, as um, co-owners of the LLC, Free School of Architecture LLC, um, have a kind of limited ownership period, and so that we can be either, people can either be added in as equal shareholders, even though it's obviously no profit, um, and then, or we are kind of removed, and I think we had a deadline on that, of the decision being made, um, which was either, yeah, which was um, either, you know, it's, I think it's just in December or something, it's like that's when we have to either abolish the LLC or other people take it on. Um, and so that was a kind of interesting process to figure that out as well, because yeah, I mean, the idea is that there is no, I mean, you don't have, you have kind of ongoing leadership, but it, it never becomes something that two people do every year or two people have to have a stake in, because I think it's really important that the vision um, shifts and isn't, 
kind of yeah it doesn't become sort of homogenized or yeah so we were hoping that there might be ways that it becomes something else and I don't know if it'll ever be run in LA again I don't I can't speak to that and it's it's up to, you know I, I don't know if I have the energy to do it again next year but maybe in the future I'll do it in Auckland or like I know that one of the participants was interested in doing an iteration in Dubai and, and so you know there, there are opportunities and now that we have a kind of legal framework in place for it I think it'll make it easier to kind of reiterate it in different ways in other places. Interesting. So it could be a model that potentially spreads or pops up or continues. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. If listeners want to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they can, right? Like anybody can. Right. Send an email. Yeah. 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 Start a group. Um, make it happen. There's no barrier to entry. It sounds like, though, because it's so non-hierarchical and a little bit, like, controlled chaos in a way, like, you're so dependent on the quality of that, or the person's dedication, right, of, like, who's organizing it or um, deciding but, to... Yeah, but even with the participants, and that's what I think is interesting about the application process, is because it, it requires you to respond to somebody else even mm -hmm. at that stage and you have to be invested um, even then into dialogue mm -hmm. and it kind of, I think that that application process filters out people who aren't going to be committed in some way um, I mean, committing and responding. Out many. <laughs> it didn't filter out many, yeah. It was kind of amazing. Even just the first part of the application process that is the, almost the filter. I feel like if you if you if you're interested enough to send that in, we, I think we had maybe two people who didn't do the second part, which was the responding to three statements that were sent. I mean, the, I think the intention is that the people that are here are responsible for what happens. Right. Yeah. And then the design of the of the um, operating agreement. I guess the intention was probably that participants from this year, kind of like take it over maybe if they're mm -hmm. motivated to and like run it again next year and that that kind of perpetuates or, yeah. or doesn't yeah. yeah which i mean that in and of itself too we haven't mentioned that but we're, we keep using the word participant and there's no context for like student teacher <laughs> yeah. um and everybody has yeah. embraced this term of participant i mean in, in my mind as someone that's you know come once and and probably only once like uh, like we, the the best kind of the ideal outcome is a kind of a situation where it's all participants where kind of all of the workshops are run by the people that are here you know minimizing the number of people that are brought in from the outside to to present material and to run things mm -hmm. that seems like a really great kind of pedagogical concept to me yeah, yeah. Sure. and that was one of the things that really kind of motivated me to come yeah, was to participate in something that was a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. I was definitely surprised by the level of commitment coming into it, yeah. which I think says a lot about the potential of the program. Because I came, coming from LA, applying to a free school in LA, I assumed a lot of people would be in the same position as me, kind of using that as their safety net of, if it doesn't work out, it's just down the street from where we live, and you can, <laughs> it's, it's not it doesn't have to necessarily be a commitment if you don't want it to be and seeing so many people coming from different places not from LA and me like almost feeling like a minority in the group where I'm here and from here in town um, I think it speaks a lot to what the potential of the 
the school can be. And there's no reason why that would ever stop. Like if this many people were drawn to the program given the little amount of information we had coming into it and people were able to fly in and really make the most of it, why does that have to stop? And why wouldn't other people be drawn to that again? Yeah. It's funny, I actually feel like because like so little of us are from LA, the ones that are, like you and I, are almost hindered by that because we have so many other commitments to the city. Right. Like I have to go family dinner or have to spend time with friends or I have to go to work, you know, and it's kind of not allowed me to participate as much as I wish I could. Mm. Um, but also the way that this program is set up is that we have like a Slack channel and we have um, arena, so we're always online. So mm -hmm. we, I could still participate, just not, you know, necessarily physically present, which is cool. Hmm. Yeah, so you talked about it not being free and nothing's ever free. So what, and you, you touched a little bit on the idea that when there's not a lot of money, money is suddenly very important. So does the school depend a lot on outside pe people being willing to like let you use their space for free or, you know, giving you yeah. your time? <laughs> <laughs> How do you go about, like, you know, getting people to sign up for that? I think, I mean, people believed in what we were doing, which was really nice. We'd struggled to find a space. We were pretty desperate by the time we, you know, were, I think, yeah, we developed a relationship with the LA Forum, who, you know, off Las Wuho is in, um, as us as their re re artist and resident for the summer, um, which was the biggest relief <laughs> but and, and we weren't even able to move in here until I think about two weeks into the program so we had to be nomadic and that in itself was interesting and I think really valuable and especially for people who had never been to LA before to spend kind of two weeks going to different spaces in the city was pretty cool exhausting but cool <laughs> um, so I think there's and there's a nice thing about it being nomadic as well I think it could be even more so maybe there's like yeah kind of burden of having a space, a fixed space. Um, but at the same time, it was a lot, it was a really a huge logistical you know, relief to, get, <laughs> to have a space. But we're very, yeah, and so it was just a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls to various, you know, architecture, art, um, any, anyone who might have a space. And there's a lot of space in LA, it's just finding it and getting someone to let you in. Sure. Should we shout out places? Yeah, I would love to hear yeah. what the spaces were. Yeah, Best so shout out Bestor Architects, HMC, Studio MLA, HMC, HMC uh, Synthesis. Synthesis, Synthesis yeah, DNA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I said that without knowing all the places that we were in. It seems so far away now. Um, Cyark. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh shit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few bars that just. Shout out Angel City Brewery. Yeah. yeah. Ever since Royce let us take over a few tables. Where else did we go? Bureau Betsy's Spectacular. Betsy's Backyard. Texas <laughs> <laughs> House. My House. Yeah. <laughs> the Farmer's Market. Too. Yeah. Star Apartments. Alcohol <laughs> Alcabool yeah. Lawn Center. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. What's that other gallery? 
Angel City Lumber had us. Yeah. LA Eco Village. Yeah. Hollywood Boulevard in general. I mean, it's kind of a perfect location for all the people coming internationally or out of town <laughs> to see that what Hollywood Boulevard yeah. is. I think even the people from LA have yeah. never seen this before. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't respect so much. <laughs> I think the first day we were in this space was this huge, was the street carnival. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. chaos. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was after this experience, I mean, do you have, did you think about ways to make architecture more accessible or equitable or, you know, something people can relate to a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think we had two, maybe three workshops that were like very specifically focused on community engagement. Yeah. Like James Rojas's planning workshop was to me really, um, amazing first of all just because it we learned effectively a trade like how to do that workshop which was just about making urban design more accessible and it could be done and is done with many different groups and like just by participating and give we were given access to the literal objects like now we're all capable of leading that workshop and then i think also um the open architecture collaborative like we did a design charrette with them and um, talked about a, a bunch of different issues pertaining to LA and also that was pertaining to the participants like specific goals so just even being exposed to them as an organization to me was valuable as someone who was trying to figure out what to do with architecture um, I feel like there was another one that was I really also Noah from LACLA oh yeah he was great um, he he's like out there fighting with uh, people getting evicted in uh, Boyle Heights in East Los Angeles and he has to translate law which is I feel like worse than architecture <laughs> to everybody you know that's just getting, like dealing with these evictions and it was just amazing hearing him and hearing other uh, people that work with him and how they go to the community and try to like really help them out in any way that they can. Wow. And so what kind of organization is that LACLA you said? Mm -hmm. It's it wasn't an well it's not it's, technically a nonprofit right like you're saying. Yeah, it's not it's a five Los Angeles, Angeles um, Center of Community Law and Action. Wow. Yeah, that does sound like you got to see what a lot of different really interesting groups are doing. How do you think it'll affect what you do now? Do you think I mean maybe you don't know. Like maybe it's not gonna be apparent until later, but do any of you have ideas about like what you might pursue now? I think, at least for myself, it was very eye-opening because, you know, I've lived in the city, but it was so great seeing all these weird little pockets of people just doing what they want to do and like really focusing on one specific item. Like we mentioned um, the Los Angeles, what was it? The Lumber guys? Yeah. Yeah. Angel City Lumber. Like, they're, they're awesome. They're just, like, taking trees from L.A. that would otherwise just be thrown away and, sell, like, repurposing that wood and selling it. It was great. Wow. And, you know, just, like, learning about all these people is so inspiring. And just it makes me feel like I 
I need to find my niche and just go for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think for me, as someone who is still a little bit scared of capital A architecture, that like working with these community group or organizations which work with community groups felt like a lot more accessible. I think like with my specific like community organizing focus at my liberal arts college, I was like, okay, this this is an intersection I'm at least comfortable with and that I know is important work. Um, so I mean, that is really encouraging amidst a lot of other kind of less encouraging, you know, discussions and criteria. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it was interesting because it being here, it, it made me not want to be a registered architect. <laughs> um, and uh, were you thinking about that? I, I mean, it was in the back of my head, but it was, but it, I feel like it kind of slammed the door shut on that, but um, conceptually, but uh, but in terms of like making things and like you said, like these kind of people following their individual passions and really putting that into the action and having a business plan for that or a community action plan for that. Um, it really kind of just inspired me to just stay as an artist, but really to kind of to adjust my practice maybe. Um, kind of the seriousness that I take it with. Um, and see it from a few different angles. So I found that to be really, you know, personally helpful. I feel like I kind of, I, I think the opposite of what you said, because I'm on the path of being a registered architect, and I think it makes me want to do it even more now and just get that done with, because I, I feel like I can very easily like go down that path and fall in the rhythm of just doing what I need to do down that. And this has shown me that there's so many ways that you can be passionate about something. And I've seen that with so many people in the group. And so many of the workshops that we've been in people outside of the participants where I want to use my career or my way to my path of becoming an architect to really become passionate about something where right now I feel like I'm lost in the shuffle of just trying to figure out what I want to do. Any other thoughts on that? Anyone else want to share? (laughs) Alternative education is hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's, um, it's unorganized, it's chaotic, it's exhausting. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of with you, Nathan. I'm, I'm ready to go back to work. <laughs> you know, this is, it's been so fun and I've learned so much and, and I, I agree completely. It's opened my eyes to um, just how far the field of architecture reaches um, and how many other different pockets of activity are there, architecture adjacent, um, and directly affected and directly affecting architecture. But uh, for me, I, I'm ready to get, to get back to work. Um, it's, there is a certain um, comfort and reliability to projects from the office. I feel like we've struggled with, and this might just be me, but I feel like we've struggled with this notion of like no hierarchy between all the participants. And I think sometimes I get confused with no leadership and people on paper, it sounds really good. We don't have any hierarchy. All the participants are working together. We're all doing the same thing. But when it, sometimes when no one steps up and becomes a leader and kind of takes charge on something, nothing ever gets done. Right. So 
I don't know, I, I keep thinking about this like notion of no hierarchy and like, is that really possible? Or does someone constantly need to step up over everyone else and take charge and make something happen? And then is that hierarchy or is that everyone equally being a separate leader? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting insight. And, and it's something I've heard before, like for example, from Elizabeth Timmy, who I spoke with, when she and Helen were starting LA Moss and working and, and then started having employees or people um, with fellowships or, or whatnot, other people in their office, they were very, the, them as uh, co-directors were very comfortable with no hierarchy, but they realized that that wasn't something that was actually being productive for other people. So I think it's interesting. It seems like group dynamics come into that a lot. I think there's a difference between hierarchy and structure. Um, and I guess, like for me, hierarchy says that like one person is kind of above someone else. But I think you can have a structure where someone takes on a leadership role, but it doesn't make them any better or than anybody else. And I think that maybe it was just—it's just really, really hard to define that. And yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's not, we're definitely not consensus driven. <laughs> it's not democratic. It's not tyrannical. <laughs> and I mean, in a lot of ways, it's just kind of the quorum of who's there <laughs> um, on that particular session a lot of the times. Yeah, I think when productivity enters the conversation, it becomes interesting because that's not necessarily a goal, but like an imperative, as in we have a show on Friday and it's not ready. But it's unfinished. It's unfinished. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think we're all okay with like the exploration. Like I don't think anyone's like we need to be productive. But also, once we're in this gallery space for five hours and we've just kind of talked, and we know we've moved forward, but I don't know how you know it, it progression is the same thing as being productive. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say we don't really have an end goal, you know, like we don't have set expectations of what this is supposed to be. So it's hard to work towards something that isn't stated, isn't <laughs> said. So, you know, the exhibit I think is gonna be interesting just because it, it could just keep going on, you know, like it, this conversation is not necessarily over. Right. So it's kind of hard to say when, you know, when to say stop. Sure. I mean, there hasn't been a, a or I'm, I'm assuming that there hasn't been a lot of physical products in the traditional sense of an architecture school or architecture project. There's been a lot of thinking and writing and talking and uh, exploring. <laughs> yeah, and, and like going to places and, you know, learning things. I don't want to like come in as organizer and kind of suggest anything. But I think that there's, you know, a difference between output and productivity. Um, and I don't know if we need to force any kind of output for something. I think if you think about the most productive parts of the preschool and just tap into what that is and try and do that for the people who come to the exhibition, then yeah. I think that's all that needs to be done. And so you say you spent five hours talking and maybe that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, it's evolved, like conversation progresses and like we learn things about each other. But yeah, where's that? When does it become like, like the where's the end and the beginning? I don't think we have that, and I think that's what's nice is I I feel like everyone has gotten exactly something different yeah. from the program, 
but it is somewhat of the same in, in that we're all fulfilled, but in different ways. And so, I don't know, there's, I always want a name, like put a name or put a, put a word or an emotion or description to it, and I don't think it really works like that for all of us. Um, but that's a, a good thing in my mind. Um, I love that, uh, I don't know what you would call it, chart, like graph of that, um, from the conversation club from the conversation club as an artifact of what came out of those sessions and i think it becomes more meaningful to me because i got to see you charting some of it and started to understand some of the systems behind it but it's so beautiful like now that i have some understanding of it or like a little like just enough of a like path into it it's this really great artifact that's come out of all of this thinking um, I don't know. I, I think that that's so, like, from a, if I didn't know that that's how this was created, it would just, you know, you wouldn't get that, that this has been an evolution of something that's been built over all these sessions. But I think that's really beautiful and worthwhile. Yeah, I don't think everything needs to be expressed and explained. No. Yeah. Yeah. I also think maybe exhibit is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, you know, chart that you're talking to, uh, you know, was produced over a number of weeks and was, I think, like a lot of fun um, for the people involved. Um, Can you, you describe know, it a little? Like read, read it for a few <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a big responsibility. <laughs> Serial killer is at one end. Yeah, it's <laughs> one the yeah maybe it's better if someone that's who wasn't a, involved yeah. describes it. <laughs> Jacob next to Siri. <laughs> 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 I don't know how I got there. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, no, no, Jacob made the unfortunate mistake of naming his model himself. Yeah. Oh goodness. But it's like a spectrum, right? And it goes from serial killer to sober to buzz to God. Oh no, dissolving into fluid and molecules at the other end. And like it's got all these like points and different tangents leading off of it. Um, so that's that's an exciting little piece for you to see at the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it just talks to the um, to the people that built it, the people that, that made it, you know. And I think also, I kind of think that's enough, you know. Come see it for yourself. This <laughs> In the spirit of preschool of architecture, um, I was asked if I could provide a reading or anything uh, to prepare for tonight. And I had offered up Gloria Steinem's um, 1981 Men and Women Talking. Um, I don't know if you've read it or not, but uh, me personally, it felt relevant despite its age, only on a very personal level for me, uh, because I'm engaged in architecture and in academia and have to speak a lot in those situations and they tend to be competitive speaking uh, scenarios in a, in a way, from my perspective of someone who's not necessarily um, naturally like an assertive or aggressive speaker. Um, so I, what I found interesting was the point she made where having, for, for a woman who doesn't have an assertive speaking, speaking style to feel that you are having to change yourself in order to be successful or to be heard and like play, basically playing that game that you're perpetuating that the view of the what she calls male 
example is superior and better, and that talking is preferred over、uh, is preferred over listening. I thought that was a really interesting point.、Um, did any of you guys read it and have other、uh, takes or wanna <laughs> fight me on that or whatever? <laughs> I mean, like you know, do you have other opinions that you'd like to share? I mean, something that I was thinking about having looked at it kind of briefly just before the session was、um, the. Well, I think in this space there's a real intention of like. When people bring up an example, it's not necessarily to prove their knowledge, but to provide context. But often that example is really specific, which is why it's bring being brought up. And in that way, it supports this elitist or niche type of knowledge that not everyone has. And I think it's not brought up intentionally to make the conversation like less accessible, but it's supposed to enrich it. But I think. Being outside of the discipline of architecture, it has been isolating. Although I know that's not the intention, and maybe that is just a similar parallel. Just because we're in a, such a specific, we we all have expertise, and like that's how you, I think,、uh, support your claims is by offering your expertise and your knowledge. And occasionally, it's a、uh, very isolating, <laughs> but it it also does really enrich because then I can go back and look it up and read it. And it maybe requires a whole book of reading, but you know, I think it's it contributes to the conversation in this context a lot more than it might in in a classroom or in a traditional classroom or in a traditional workplace because it's supposed to further the conversation as opposed to just prove knowledge.、Hmm. Yeah, I felt like there was a really different attitude in terms of discussions, the open-endedness of discussions. And the lack of a closing time, and something that it came up in a few sessions, but just references to Michael Asher and his critiques at CalArts, and that would, you know, go on for up to 24 hours. And kind of a question I was asking the people who were leading sessions who had participated in those is like, who would close those? <laughs> were those closed down by the professor? Were those closed down by the student? Were they, you know, how was that kind of decision made? And、um, No one could really answer that, and、uh, I felt like here there was a willingness to repeatedly engage a topic,、um, and that everybody had and took multiple opportunities to engage that、um, and kind of say what was on their mind. I could tell sometimes Simon would hold back, but <laughs> but、uh, I think felt like everybody piped in. Yeah, I think it was. Very open, and I think everyone that participated kind of feels that everyone else has something to offer,、yeah. which is really valuable. Like nowhere in this entire six-week period did I feel like I could not speak up. You know, like maybe sometimes I chose not to, but that was just because I wanted to.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually want to take it back to Lucas's pedagogy conversation、mm-hmm. because I feel like. That really kind of set the tone for this.、Uh, we had it, and I think it was the first week, right? And we were just questioning education, and because of that questioning, we kind of made it a very open, you know, discussion. I think most people talked in that workshop, and everyone expressed their views, and I think that really set the tone for the next five weeks. So, yeah. Do you think you can elaborate on how that w- tone was set during that one workshop? I think that's pretty important. I have a very like clear memory of 
him projecting a traditional classroom environment. And I think the, the, the tag on the slide was just like, is this FSA? Or how does this relate to FSA? And we're all actually sitting in a traditional classroom uh, shape with like the, the rows of the chairs and all deciding that this isn't what we want. And you know, every session from then on, even at the end of that session, the chairs kind of moved. And so I think like being forced to be in those physical situations, like definitely contributed to like the mental conversations that we were having. Like there, I think there was a big, I think the physical then entered itself into the conversation a lot more. And, like we physically created space for people as well as mentally. Mm -hmm. I think that when, uh, Wendy Heldman and Christopher Mickley's uh, session as well on interviewing and kind of ethnographic and anthropolo anthropology studies in terms of how to interview people that act, that also impacted a lot of the discussion and in trying not to put people on the spot and answering why questions but just answering how questions um i felt like that really set the tone for our interactions with each other something that both of those sessions had in common were i think a sort of a shared experience so whether it be the workshop where we actually interviewed each other or just an experience of education in a classroom which sort of lowered everybody and there was like you didn't have to be an architect you didn't have to have everybody had sort of been in a classroom um, so everybody was able to speak up about those experiences and had opinions about them um, which is different than other more specialized workshops um, but I think there's also something to be said about the difference between you know listening and talking in that um, I had a lot of sort of side conversations with people about um, whether people should be forced to talk you know like different setting different rules to try to um, enhance not really enhance but uh, encourage more conversation and more people to talk and um, we ended up not setting any of those ground rules as a group and I think rightfully because sometimes being forced to talk is worse, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, it's better just to listen. So um, I think there were a lot of different dynamics in some of these discussions about when's the right time to talk and to listen. But I think that those two, Lucas and you know, the interviewing and pedagogy, were things that everybody felt able to contribute to um, because everyone had a shared experience. In. So I'm interested more that you said they were asking, they were saying good questions are ones that ask how, not why. Yeah, because why questions can be so ethereal <laughs> and they're just, they're not concrete. And frankly, as much as thinking as we do, we don't always have answers to those questions. Um, but how questions are, are concrete. How did you get here? Um, how, how did you buy this object? How did you make this object? Um, and there's this kind of a step-by-step -step approach where you can explain a how question or the response to a how question and understand it. It was also sort of less judgmental, right? Yeah. right. Why yeah. questions can be very much like, why would you do that? You yeah. know, it's like, and, and, it, and it changes the dynamic between an asker and answer who is like, who are they to question why I did this? But when you change that to a how, then you've sort of changed the nature of the question where they don't have to explain themselves, they can just answer. 
Um, and that broke down, I think, a lot of barriers. And, and I do want to say, too, I think that the four organizers, I think, really did a good job of setting the tone for that <laughs> um, from the from the application process, you know, the little bit of information that was posted on the website. And, uh, and really not, even not putting a hierarchy in terms of evaluating applications based off of who is submitting a teaching proposal in addition to an essay and setting that out there. Yeah, I mean, as organizer, do you wanna talk a little bit about the process of how this came to be? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting um, working dynamic for all of us and one that I don't know I'll ever be able to replicate or fully understand, but there was a, a kind of group from last year's school um, of, well, we, the kind of the, the last three weeks of the um, school last year were a kind of intense sort of mobilization of imagining what the school could be moving forward. Um, and, that, and there was quite a lot of um, organization around how that might look and there was probably about 20 of us who were like fully committed to kind of seeing that vision play out um, and I think with the school fin finished and then there was this sort of quietness afterwards where nobody spoke to each other for about a month and then slowly it sort of started up again and there were maybe 12 of us who were interested in doing it again this year um, and then that kind of, I guess, went, it just the sort of the tree was shaken by work commitment and life commitment and kind of, you know, anxieties around it and, until there was just the four of us left. And so it, it, it's interesting for us to think about the fact that like, we didn't, it wasn't like we all conspired to work together to do this thing. It was just that we were the last ones standing. And I think there was a lot of, um, accountability in that because once there was the four of us and all these other people had dropped off um, and like we didn't you know there's no kind of uh, four is a very productive number so I think it was a it was a good number for that specific um, thing but yeah and, and I think we didn't yes yeah, so we didn't choose to work together it just we fell into this these roles um, and somehow I had this working relationship which really did not have any hierarchy all our decisions that we made were unanimous and I think part of that was the fact that we were in four different cities so I was in LA, um, Karina was in San Francisco, uh, Lily was in Mexico City and um, Alicia was in Dessau in Germany uh, and so we were constantly negotiating time zones and personal workloads and then these conference calls that we had almost every weekend and I think that being forced to only have you know, two hours to talk about something means that you have to make decisions. And I think it was, a lot of the decisions were made based on, you know, someone, one of the group has done all of this work um, and you have a lot of faith in the fact that they are going to make an informed decision about that thing. And so we all, and we'd talk about things, if we had to, we'd talk about them for weeks until we'd made the decision. Um, and I guess, and we had, you know, we, and fortunately we had done some sort of groundwork during the school when we were together and had the opportunity to kind of think about time frame of like, well this is the date when we want to send out a call for applications and like this is how we're going to do it and um, you know this is the date that we need to um, set a deadline for those and when we want to send and a lot of those dates kept getting pushed further and further back to the point where you know I think we'd planned to send out the schedule in the start of April and 
we didn't even show these guys the schedule until they were in LA. So <laughs> it was a lot of it, it required a lot of faith um, coming to the school because of that. But I think in some ways maybe that was better for it. I think the commitment levels were pretty high because people had come to this thing they had no idea what it was going to look like. Um, but yeah, it was a really it was quite an incredible um, relationship to have developed. Um, and learned a lot through it, which was really nice. Um, definitely looking forward to a break. But <laughs> yeah, and I think I mean it's it's good. It's nice for me to hear about how you guys feel about it because I, I think I've been trying to kind of you know it was it, it was very it was surprisingly difficult to. Um, uh, I think I was surprised that it, it felt like there was still this kind of the four organizers in the group and maybe. And I didn't, we didn't really want that, but I don't know if it can be avoided. And so, you know, we've been trying to pull back a little bit and sort of let it develop a little bit more organically. So it's nice to kind of hear how it's been going. That's fascinating. So what's next for you then? Well, I've got to go and get a visa so I can stay here. So I'm going to go to Costa Rica for a week, which is going to be really nice. <laughs> I'm going to read a lot of books. Um, no, I mean, I don't know exactly. Uh, long term, I'd like to, I love teaching, so I'd love to be able to um, put this to practice maybe within an academic framework and see how that works. Like, I think I'd really be interested to see if I could, you know, run something like this with a group of students who have paid for it and see if it makes a difference and what that means, because I think that would be fascinating. And so then eventually, maybe long term, turn that into some kind of project where I start playing with these kind of pedagogical models and, and testing them in different places and seeing how that how it functions. Um, but I don't know, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it feels like a long way away. I think at the moment I'm just, yeah, just want to get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an architect. <laughs> Any other closing thoughts that you guys want to share? I had something just pop into my mind about future iterations of the free school. Thinking back on one of the best parts that this school has afforded us is just like the name, right? Um, we toured the Sheets Goldstein residence and she said, we, I only do this for school groups. And I was like, <laughs> you know, she like, so uh, I, I imagine that it's the, the potential for like one day free school of architecture is to pop up all over the world where um, you just get a group of people who are interested in doing a thing, um, whether it be a tour or a workshop or a lecture series, discussion um, related to, tangential to, whatever, to architecture, make it free, you know, invite the public. We're having one on Friday. But, you know, it's like, we we can it's we've given a structure to that that was cheesy yeah but you know i think that there's potential for like you know one day mass events where we take a bike ride you know um and a, a tour guide volunteers their time and it could be a global like day event if anything or global yeah free day so i i see i mean and i see this as like six weeks of those one day events where um, th some were obviously serial, where, no pun intended, uh, 
where they built off each other and they have workshops one, two, and three. But a lot of these were standalone workshops. Um, and we encouraged the public to come in and join and sit with us and um, offer their opinions because everybody brings something to the table. So that was just, you know, rambling. Yeah, I mean, just, I was like blown away that I just came to see what was happening and like chat with someone. And like in that, I don't know, half hour I was here, I was added to the schedule as an event. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted um, you. We needed, we needed something for Tuesday night. That test organized. So. <laughs> the like flexibility of that sort of system and I don't know, openness was kind of crazy to me and I was drawn to it. Yeah. I forgot it was like the first week or two, but the word like community kept getting thrown, thrown around in a lot of different contexts. And it hit me that a lot of the times that it was being talked about, there was no, um, it, it was a forced community. Whereas I feel like with this, it's the community is, are all of us, are all the participants, we're all stakeholders in this. Um, we are a community because we have all put something into it. Um, we're not just getting something out of it, um, but we've put something into it, and we want more people to be put into it. <laughs> so right. we invite them along and make space for them. So anybody who's put up the effort to show up, um, get involved any way possible, is part of that community. I think there's no reason. I mean. We've had people join us halfway through. Uh, we've had people join us two thirds of the way through for two days, you know, and that's okay. Um, everything that they bring to the table is just as valuable as anyone else. And that's, I think, really important, essential in fact. So everyone here now could call themselves participants, whether we just showed up? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Maybe before we end, can you guys just go through one last time with your names, where you're from, and if you would like, what you do. Jay Henderson, I'm an artist. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Alejandro Ramirez, I live in Los Angeles, and I work at an architecture firm. I'm Simon, I'm from Auckland. I'm Tessa, I live in LA, but from New Zealand. I'm an architect with a lowercase a. I'm Naveen, I live in Los Angeles, I am an affordable housing developer. I am Nathan, I live in LA, and I'm an aspiring, hopefully soon-to-be architect. I'm Joy, I'm from London. I'm Katya Zrolnik, I'm from San Francisco, and I would love to be your next employee. Anyone doing? <laughs> uh, I'm Jacob, I'm an architect who used to live in Philadelphia. And I'm Audrey Sato. I've been your host for tonight's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to find out more about Free School of Architecture, we will all be here Friday at 6.30 till whenever. <laughs>